Yays are 57. The nays are 43. Uh, Two thirds of the senators present not having been guilty. The Senate judges that the respondent, Donald John Trump, former president of the United States, is not guilty as charged in the article of impeachment. Presiding officer directs judgment to be entered in accordance with the judgment of the Senate as follows. The Senate, having tried Donald John Trump, former president of the United States, upon one article of impeachment exhibited against him by the House of Representatives <clears throat> and two-thirds of the senators present, not having found him guilty of the charge contained therein, it is therefore ordered and adjudged that the said Donald John Trump be, and he is hereby acquitted of the charge in said article. And that is all she wrote. After all of the drama this Saturday, February 13th morning, the Senate did actually end up voting this afternoon. Donald John Trump once again acquitted by the United States Senate. I'm Raheem Kassam, Editor-in-Chief of TheNationalPulse.com. You're listening to a very special, let's call it an acquittal episode of The National Pulse Podcast. I thank you for joining me today. Now, I was going to, I was going to bang on about some of the other stuff that's been taking place over the last three, four hours, I was going to go through, and we'll still go through some of it, but I was going to go through, I was going to actually play the entirety of House Impeachment Manager's Jamie, House Impeachment Manager Jamie Raskin's rebuttal today, but given the fact that what was due to happen, at least what was threatened to happen, didn't end up happening I think we can at least forego some of that for now. We'll get into a little bit uh, of this and that over the course of this very special show this evening with you. But the big news, of course, is that once again, President Donald Trump has been acquitted by the United States Senate. We've got the lead story up on the National Pulse right now. Trump, so innocent, they acquitted him twice. Yes, I will take full responsibility for that traffic, of course, pouring in to the National Pulse on that breaking news this afternoon. That's what we like to see. But there are seven GOP senators who voted to convict Donald Trump today. Richard Burr, Bill Cassidy, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Mitt Romney, Ben Sass, and Pat Toomey. And the fates of those senators, I suppose, is left in the hands of their constituents. To a large extent, some of them will get off scot-free. Simply do not have the kind of MAGA base in their states that is required to remove them. And some of them will bank on the fact that they are not up for so long that people's memories will forgive them. Or at least lapse I don't think that second one should be the case. As for the first, we intend to, and I will every single day 
every single week, every single month, as long as you want me doing this podcast, that is. If the numbers go to zero, I'm going to take it that you don't want me doing this podcast. But as long as I'm here, as long as I have breath in my lungs and coffee in my cup, I have I have had to become somewhat of a um, coffee convert in recent months just to keep me awake and alert at all time not usually never never actually been a coffee guy you know I grew up with drinking drinking those Kenko crystals that's what we had in England not so good not so good but uh yeah always been a tea guy but yeah as long as there is breath in my lungs we will say every day and walk you through every day on this show the fraud The lies, the cheating, the theft that Time Magazine has admitted to and others are going to continue to admit to. And we'll also make examples of these seven GOP senators who voted to convict Trump. And who knows, maybe maybe we'll have some impact. Maybe people out in Utah will realize that maybe sending Mitt Romney to Washington, D.C. isn't the best thing we should be doing. But it's good news, especially good news considering where we were at this morning, this botched attempt by the Democrats to put witnesses in there. Let's let's go ahead and talk about some of that now. So during the War Room Saturday show this morning, we get the news that, hey, they're not actually going to vote today. He won't be acquitted today. It was either supposed to be today or tomorrow. And... Uh, We may instead be treated to weeks and weeks of witness testimony. Now, those of you who heard from us on the war room, we thought that was a great thing. I understand that the team surrounding President Trump didn't necessarily want it to go that way, but I thought it was a great thing. I thought it was an opportunity, another opportunity, mind you. We've, We've had quite a few now. An opportunity to put the receipts in front of the American public. The timeline, the Navarro report, everything. Everything. There in on the floor of the Senate, the single most august venue. Which is why, you know, I wasn't surprised when the Democrats turned around later this afternoon and said, oh, actually, you know, while we did vote for witnesses that we could have witnesses we're not actually going to do it now and it wasn't the bet they're better angels getting to them they still prosecuted one of the most fraudulent cases against president trump that i think anybody will ever hear frankly there may have been more truth in the russia lie than there has been in the impeachment lie this time around the insurrection lie as thomas farnan calls it There wasn't, but I'm just, you know, for rhetorical effect, it, it, it may as well have been the case that last year's impeachment was 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 more Ukraine. The president tried to bribe Ukraine. Because the narrative as it was laid out by Jamie Raskin and the other impeachment managers today and the day before yesterday was just so full of holes and I was I was gratified to see the president's lawyer not just dismissing the claims but dismissing them with extreme prejudice 
saying that that we are not even going to accept the premise of some of these claims they are so ludicrous they have falsified people's twitter check marks on their twitter handles in their evidence records they've entered evidence into the record that they then had to remove from the record they didn't follow the senate's own rules for how impeachment is supposed to be done they didn't by the way but you see it didn't make an iota of difference to any democrats and these seven gop senators well six of them i'm pretty certain going in wanted to convict president trump collins Murkowski, romney sass toomey five were certain convictions going in burr and cassidy we'll get to those cassidy already kind of gave us his um his read on it a couple of days ago gave the gave the game away by voting he had previously voted <laughs> bill cassidy by the way louisiana time to get rid of bill cassidy seems to be losing his marbles he had voted two weeks ago against the constitutionality of this thing two weeks later he votes that it is constitutional to impeach a private citizen even though they had the opportunity to bring this whole case and the whole trial before january the 20th before donald trump was once again a private citizen they neglected to do it didn't follow the rules and bill cassidy flipped his vote in favor of the democrats somebody's got something on bill cassidy it's all like it's all i can infer from that little data point But it didn't change anyone's mind, did it? None of the case, none of the case changed anyone's mind on the left, on the Democrat side. All of the, you know, everything President Trump's team showed, which doesn't go to show that they had a weak case, by the way. There were only one or two, one or two, Burr or Cassidy, that were a particular surprise. So it's not like the Democrat case was particularly good either. But it just shows a further, further entrenchment on both sides. A further shift away from bipartisanship. And I don't say that like CNN laments it. I say it as something that's entirely and utterly predictable. When you drive a wedge through the nation, that wedge will extend itself to the nation's representatives. That is absolutely, manifestly, demonstrably, historically what happens but you saw all of the all of the arguments summarily dismissed yesterday by president trump's lawyers they did an excellent job i I would have done an even more excellent job because i would have presented the case of the fraud also but they did it for what they did they did an excellent job of walking people through how on earth this wasn't possible, whether it was the timeline of events, whether it was the fact that authorities had already said they knew that something was going to happen like that, whether it was, um, you know, President Trump's own words, his own words. Do I have him here? After this, we're going to walk down, and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down. Anyone you want, but I think right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol. And we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. 
because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength, and you have to be strong. We have come to demand that Congress do the right thing and only count the electors who have been lawfully slated, lawfully slated. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Today, we will see whether Republicans stand strong for integrity. I know for a lot of you, I don't have to play that clip. I know you know it anyway. But there are still a lot of people out in this country that have not heard the full context of that quote. The Democrats clip it. They say, you have to show strength. You have to march to the Capitol. Clip. That's it. And the idea that there are so many conflicting things here, by the way. So actually too many for me to, to, to have even written down. I was making mental notes throughout Raskin's comments. I noted on the one hand, the Democrats say, well, Trump says anything he wants and he can continue to say anything he wants and this isn't an attack on his First Amendment and he often does say anything and everything he wants. Well, if he does, if he does say anything and everything he wants, then why would he have said in that speech, go down and peacefully protest? Why wouldn't he have said, smash the place up? Zip tie your members of Congress. Bound and gag them. Transport them to a mountain. Why wouldn't he have said those things? If he can and routinely gets away, as is your case, Jamie Raskin, as we heard from the Democrat impeachment managers, that the president shoots from the hip, doesn't think twice, just says things. And then why didn't we why did we not hear that on January the sixth? Oh yeah, that's right, because he didn't intend to incite any violence on January the 6th. So many of these things didn't add up in the Democrats' own case, and I'm, I was kind of stunned, stunned, hearing them. Let me, let me bring you another example. And I'm not going to go through and find these clips from Jamie Raskin and play them to you, because... I don't, I don't need to hear this again. The, the, the president has been acquitted. So now the, this is the victory lap, Jamie Raskin. Jamie Raskin and the impeachment manager. And I, I use Jamie Raskin first because he's one of the one up there the most. He's leading the whole team. And he just the saccharine pathos today invoking his children he even mentioned his children's name said my daughter hannah came up to me last night and she said something to me that really gave me pause really you're the house impeachment manager the night before you're potentially having a vote to call witnesses the night before you are convicting in your in your mind the president of the united states and you get pause from what your daughter said. Well, your daughter didn't even say anything particularly interesting. It <laughs> may have been if your daughter came up with a grand theory of everything the night before the impeachment, it might have given me pause as well, okay? But Jamie Raskin, oh, my daughter says, but what about the kids of the people who were duped to go to the Capitol that day and participate in this insurrection for Donald Trump? What about their kids? Somebody please think of the children. 
right? It's the Helen Lovejoy approach to a uh, an impeachment. This is the level to which they stooped today because their case fell apart in front of everyone yesterday. Oh, oh, won't somebody please think of the children? That's the one. Won't somebody please think of the children? Simpsons fans will know. But they failed. They failed in quite a magnificent manner in front of the world. And it wasn't the president's words that did them over. It wasn't any grand rhetoric or pathos of the Trump defense team that did them in. It was the words of their own party members for the last year, two years, four years, ten years, and beyond. And I'll, I'll use those points in time specifically. The year, the BLM, all of it, the violence, the incitement to it, all of that. The two years, the Russia lie, the whipping people up, all of it. The three and four years was they all stood up in the Senate and in the House to attempt to overturn the 2016 election results. Do you remember hearing that? I hadn't even heard all of that. I didn't even remember that that had happened. Maxine Waters waving her papers around saying, I don't care if I have this signed by a member of the Senate. That is a member of the Democratic Party trying to overturn an election and not even by the legal means. Not even by the means as laid out in the Constitution. There are ways in the Constitution that you can stop the certification and that's what the Trump team was trying to do. But some of this doesn't even make sense from the perspective of the Democrat impeachment manager's case because they told us today, they told us today that the president duped his supporters by telling them that he was going to be marching to the Capitol with them and that he was somewhere in the crowd amongst them doing the same thing. They genuinely made the case that Donald Trump that it, was a, that it was reasonable to believe that the President of the United States, Donald Trump, was on the front lawn of the U.S. Capitol building while all of that was taking place. That's what they want people to believe. And it doesn't stop there. They want you to believe that in addition to, in addition to, their claim that people were awaiting his instructions via Twitter or via uh, a YouTube video or something like that. That these were like troops on the battlefield awaiting their general to tell them what to do. Well, was he there in person or were they checking their phones on, on refresh? Which one was it? Was it both? Was Trump tweeting from... Is the Christmas tree still up there? Maybe he was leaning up against the Christmas tree on January the 6th. I don't know when they take it down. Outside the Capitol building. Maybe Trump was sat on the steps. Maybe he was nearby in Starbucks. 
this is this this is the case that they painted this is the narrative that they portrayed now it's an effective narrative if you're not looking for holes in it and i i i hesitate to say that i'm afraid the vast majority of americans out there who are just kind of flicking this on and off on the television in the background they're not actually looking for holes they're not trying to write things down and follow the timelines and connect the dots but if you are looking to do that this case was risible on the face of it I am not a lawyer, and I could do a better job than Jamie Raskin and the Democratic Beach Managers did. And I could beat them in a court as well. Sorry. I'm not trying to be churlish about it. I just, I don't know any other way to be about it at this point in time. Another, another part of their case that's going to fall apart as well is this claim they kept making and you know you might say now it doesn't matter if the the case falls apart he's been acquitted time to move on no 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 no. now is the time to go back and fisk do you know what fisking is ladies and gentlemen f-i-s-k-i-n-g fisking is the journalistic art of going through someone's argument line by line and proving it to be falsehood upon falsehood upon falsehood and now is the time to do that the reason it must be done is in a wash rinse repeat kind of way just like the democrats do we must show the public how much they lied. And so here is the next thing that's going to fall apart for them. They say from the ellipse, from the stage, President Trump could see armed men in body armor and tactical gear, armed and ready to march to the Capitol. Was that true? Is that true? I've reached out to quite a few people who are on that stage and I will be receiving pictures from that stage. And we'll go and see if that's true. If you are the president standing on that stage, the plexiglass, the bulletproof glass, whatever it is in front of you, you've got the two teleprompters each side of you. You've got the lights shining on your face. I don't know how many of you have been up on stages like this, but I have. Firstly, it's not even clear you have a crowd in front of you. Sometimes you wonder, do I actually, am I speaking to anybody here? Because sometimes the acoustics are so hard that you can't hear that either. Not very well. I mean, not to the point where you could gauge, am I speaking to a hundred loud people or a thousand medium people or 10,000 quiet people? But he's got the teleprompters, he's got the lights, he's got the glass in front of him. He's at the lectern. And you're telling me the Democrats' case is that he could pick out individuals in the crowd hundreds of feet in front of him and beyond, and way beyond, by the way, and identify people wearing tactical gear and body armor, maybe arms. Is Trump squinting really hard and getting a getting a good look at some ninja death stars on somebody's belt. Is that the claim here? That is the claim here. I don't know where I'm asking. That is the claim they are making. You can't see from that stage. If he could see anything, 
and I've already looked at some of these images from the stage. If you could see anything, you can see uh, people who are wearing, you know, camel long coats, cold day outside, camel long coats, suits and ties. The front rows of all of these events, and I've been in them, not to brag, but I've been in the front rows for Trump events. They're the VIP rows. The, the most that the president can see is an army of suits. Maybe he thought he was sending lawyers marching down to Capitol Hill. Maybe that's what the Democrats meant, right? Maybe they were armed with pens and legal documents. It's so risible. And don't mind me if I enjoy myself throughout this. Because, hey, yes, a lot of damage, a lot of constitutional damage, a lot of rhetorical damage is being done to the country. Physical damage is obviously being done to the country from both sides. The far left and the far right. Of course those things are true. But let's, you know, let's not forget to find a little joy in the ludicrous things in life. And one of the most ludicrous things in life is the idea that President Trump scoured the scene from on that stage and identified, you know, he saw somebody with a, with a baseball bat in their in their back pocket, tucked down their trousers, and he gave him a wink even. He winked at him from 3,000 yards away, winks at him. And the two's eyes locked together, and that man in that moment knew what he had to do. He had to go and find the shaman. And the shaman would lead the way. <laughs> this is this is the story. This is the story that we're being told. And even with the never Trumpers in the Senate, you can't get this thing to pass. Because your case doesn't make any sense. Oh, just just amazing. Just amazing. I, 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 I was just get a word out. I also wanted to play something for you to cheer you all up today, because because of such ludicrous things that have been going on. I, you know how I like my uh, Jen Saki circle back song. Am I going to play the right one here? I yeah, can, this I'll one. Circle back. If there's more, I can share with you. I'll circle. You know how much I like that one. I found an even better one today. It's it's called Circle Back Songif Songify. Jen Saki and Michael Knowles. And it goes, and, and this consider this your intermission before we get back into some of the detail. It goes a little something like this. I can, I'll circle back if there's more I can share with you, but I'll circle back if there's more to convey. Um, I'll have to just circle back with you. We can circle back. I'm happy to circle back. I can circle back. I will have to circle back on that one, but I'll have to circle back. We'll circle back, circle back, certainly circle back. I will have to circle back on that one. I hate to disappoint you, but I will have to circle back with you on that as well. Oh, it's now so good. It's so good. <laughs> I just love it. Whoever put that together is a genius. It's called Circle Back, Songify, Jen Saki, and Michael Knowles on YouTube. Enjoy. I'll circle back if there's more to convey. Um, I'll have to just circle back with you. We can circle back. I'm happy to circle back. I can circle back. I will have to circle back on that one, but I'll have to circle back. We'll circle back, circle back, certainly circle back. I will have to circle back on that one. I hate to disappoint you, but I will have to circle back with you on that as well. I'll circle back. Now she finally I'll circle back. did decide. 
to circle, circle back. back. Gen back. Um, um, I'll have to just. I will have to circle back on that one. I hate to disappoint you, but I will have to circle back with you on that as well. Circle back. I will have to circle back on that one. I will have to circle back on that one. Oh, I am not a big, big laugh out loud guy. I, I just don't. <laughs> At least laugh until I nearly cry sometimes. But that one, that one nearly did it. <laughs> nice to have some comic relief in the middle of your day. So let's go back to some of what happened this morning because it was really dramatic as we're on the show. We're told, hey, they're voting for witnesses. And Steve's like, what? Witnesses? You're supposed to be concluding the thing today. And Mitch McConnell had just told the world that he was going to acquit and everybody was looking forward to a, a rather easygoing show. He had Peter Navarro on. He was going to present it once again, the Navarro Report which means that Steve and I can just watch Peter Navarro and have a cup of coffee. And then we hear witnesses, they're calling witnesses. And what was really interesting to me, what stood out to me immediately is who starts getting talked about on the news. Now, I suppose it's kind of obvious to you, so I'm not going to patronize you by saying, do you know this is how it works? But for those that don't, that really genuinely don't know how it works, the news isn't just constituted of information that journalists dig up. The news is whatever agreement is in place between the current power structures and the power structures of the media companies. So the power structures in the United States, even throughout the Trump administration, they didn't change. The power structures remain the same. The power of big corporate, this is what the Time Magazine article was all about. Big labor, big corporates, all of that. And that's, that's what drain the swamp meant, by the way is actually to, to reform those power structures. Wasn't just wasn't just cute, and it wasn't just destructive for destruction's sake, as the media portray it. So there's an agreement. This is the time we'll go with this story. Here's what I'm willing to give you in exchange for this. And that's, you know, that's how Kevin McCarthy laundered this information about the Trump call into the uh, proceedings today. And that was actually the end goal of all of this. The entry into the Senate record of this comment this claim by a congresswoman who was in turn told by kevin mccarthy that the president had been on the phone with him during the sequence of events on january the 6th and because the president didn't express you know shock and horror and dismay and ask demand to speak to the vice president immediately and know he's safe that somehow the president was therefore inciting an insurrection that's that's where we ended up not to not to you know spoiler alert for you it's not you know it's not much of a spoiler to the day but the way it works is you're only really on a chiron on CNN if you're the target of an attack or if you're the source. The chiron is the lower third, the scroll bar, just FYI. Again, not trying to sound patronizing. I just know that there are people, a lot of people that do know it, a lot of people that don't know it. And I'm always down to including new audiences and, and cluing them up on the lingo. So on the Chiron this morning is Mark Short. 
Mark Short, the, uh, the, the, the former chief of staff to, to Mike Pence. And so Short's were on, one of their, on there for one of two reasons, right? He's on there because he's either under attack or he's the source. He's the source, guys. <laughs> and then what occurred to me when they said witnesses was this one paragraph, or sorry, one um, blog entry that appears in CNN's live coverage of this on their website. And again, you have to pay attention to these things, even though you might not like going to CNN, or you might not like turning it on. You have to pay attention to these things. They give away the key players, and they give away the conversations that are being had behind the scenes. If you know what you're looking for, just like with Raskin's thing, you can find it. Because they give it away so often. And, and this morning, maybe it was this afternoon, just afternoon, I think, This entry goes on the CNN website, and it's and it's bylined Jim Acosta and Alex Marquardt. Marquardt? Alex Marquardt. Okay. I, sorry if anybody's name is Marquardt. I, I, I'm butchering it. It is a source familiar with the work of the House managers, says former Vice President Mike Pence's Chief of Staff, Mark Short, has been contacted about providing information about threats to Pence. Short has not responded, the source said. Yes, that's that's Short telling CNN to say that he hasn't responded. House managers are also seeking information from Chris Hodgson, Pence's former head of legislative affairs, House managers believe he was also with Pence that day. This comes as House managers have asked the Senate to allow them to bring forward witnesses in the impeachment trial of Dormer President Trump. Good job, Jim Acosta and CNN. It's four hours after this entry went up on your website and you still have a typo in there. A former Pence staffer tells CNN that on January the 6th, then-National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien was traveling, so President Trump was being staffed by his deputy Matt Pottinger and General Keith Kellogg, Pence's National Security Advisor. Pottinger and Kellogg were at the White House on the day of the rally and riot. Kellogg was in the Oval Office with Trump and his kids as the riots were raging, including when Pence was forced to flee the Senate chamber. After Pence fled, Kellogg was in communication with the vice president through the vice president's staff who were with him at the Capitol. Those staff were communicating back to the White House and getting that information to Kellogg, who was with the president. Pottinger resigned the day after the riots. After witnessing Trump's response in person, Kellogg is known to be fiercely loyal to the president. On Friday, Trump's attorney, Michael Van Der Veen, said at no point was Trump aware that his vice president was in danger, but Senator Tommy Tuberville, a Republican from Alabama, told reporters this week that he spoke to Trump on the phone during the Capitol riot and told him Pence had just been rushed away from the rioters by U.S. Secret Service. Tuberville told reporters, I said, Mr. President, hey, they just took the vice president out. I've got to go. Another source close to Pence said Trump's legal team was not telling the truth when attorney Michael Vanderveen said at no point did the president know Mike Pence was in danger on January the 6th. Ask whether Vanderveen was lying, the source said yes. Former Pence aides are still fuming over Trump's actions on January the 6th, insisting he never checked on the vice president as he was being rushed from danger by his U.S. Secret Service detail. Pence has stayed quiet throughout the Senate impeachment trial. End of blog post update by Jim Acosta and the other one.
Does that make any sense to you? Does any of that make any sense to you? For a start, why on January the 6th, why on January the 6th was Trump being staffed by Pence staffers? The claim is made here that it's because Robert O'Brien was traveling. But if Robert O'Brien's traveling, you don't need Matt Pottinger and Keith Kellogg to hold the president's hand all day. The president doesn't sit next to Robert O'Brien all day and ask what he should do. So why did Pence send Pottinger and Kellogg to go and staff Trump that day? Doesn't make sense. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm saying that that implies that there was some forward thinking going on there. And I would like to know what that forward thinking is. The other part of it that doesn't make sense is if Kellogg was being fed information back in real time from Pence's staff and Kellogg was with the president then why would the president need to reach out to Mike Pence, mano y mano, one-on-one, hit him up on his cell, send him a text, DM him? Why would he need to do that if the guy who's staffing him, who's from Pence's team, is being kept abreast of the situation from Pence's team? You see how if you just scratch a little bit at this stuff, it it doesn't add up? That's because when they when they construct these narratives, they're not expecting you to go through this stuff in detail. They're not expecting you to know how these processes work. And they're certainly not expecting me to be sitting here on Capitol Hill reading it to you. They, Jim Acosta doesn't think I'm going through his every blog post looking for inconsistencies. But I am. <laughs> but I am. And I guess i got to go soon. But... I haven't had a Saturday yet, by the way. And 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 I will say this. I will say this. If you appreciate the work we do to bring you this information, would you please, please, please help us? Help us out. Help us grow as a news outlet. The website is fundrealnews.com. Fundrealnews.com. And if you don't want to join up as a member, you can just go to the nationalpulse.com forward slash donate and just give a one-off thing. But we need your support. No money from no billionaires, no money from no millionaires, no money from no corporates. It's you. And if you value this information, you think more people need to see it. I Honestly, I couldn't care if it was $2 or $5 or $10. Every single little bit helps us. Because it costs time and money to do this, to do digging. And some of the stories we've got up at the National Pulse website right now, please go and look at them and read them and share them. That's another way you can help us. Share them. The exclusive about the Harvard Center and its links to the Chinese Communist Party, the same Harvard Center that attacked Dr. Li Meng Yan for her report about the origins of the coronavirus. We did the digging. Natalie Winter stayed up all night doing the digging into that center so that we could bring you the news today, this morning, as soon as we could. So I implore you to help our reporting. But finally, what I wanted to bring you today was a reminder, and some of you may not know this, and some of you will, but some of you may not know this, but a reminder that the authorities in Washington, D.C. absolutely knew, absolutely knew what was likely to happen on January the 6th. 
I will read this to you. I will read from these three things to you and you tell me if this doesn't stack up. You tell me if I'm wrong. You tell me if I'm, I'm inventing a narrative to excuse my buddy, right? On January the 5th, Mayor Muriel Bowser of Washington, D.C., who demanded that National Guard troops were a smear, a stain on Washington, D.C. last summer, she tweeted on January the 5th, she tweeted, to be clear, the District of Columbia is not requesting other federal law enforcement personnel and discourages any additional deployment without immediate notification to and consultation with MPD if such plans are underway. So Bowser outright refused the help of the National Guard. And remember, <clears throat> excuse me, remember we're told that the authorities all knew what was going to happen, that they had been watching this, that the FBI tipped people off. Is this a case of one agency not talking to another? Maybe. Maybe. Or maybe they knew and did nothing. We know that is in the habit. It is in the usual modus operandi as a tautology. It's in the modus operandi of the alphabet agencies and government agencies and definitely Mayor Muriel Bowser to refuse or fail to act. Let's look at what the Associated Press said just two days after the Capitol riot in their AP Morning Wire bulletin. They said, number one, Number one, top of the bulletin that day, that morning. This is the Associated Press, one of the biggest news agencies in the world. Top of their morning wire. So it's kind of important, is what I'm saying. U.S. Capitol Police rejected offers of federal help to quell mob. U.S. Capitol Police rejected offers of federal help to quell mob. The U.S. Capitol Police works at the pleasure of the leaders of each side of Congress. Mitch McConnell back then and Nancy Pelosi back then, they hire, fire, and hold to account the chief of Capitol Police and what the Capitol Police do. Capitol Police are the police, not for the entirety of Washington, D.C. That's the Metropolitan Police Department. That's DCPD. The Capitol Police are a very specialized police force specifically deployed in around the Capitol. And they rejected offers of federal help to quell the mob. Okay, so you heard one, Bowser, no thank you. Two, Capitol Hill Police, no thank you. Shot, shot, and here comes your chaser. Sit down. <laughs> You're going to want to sit down. Vanityfair.com. Not Breitbart, not the National Pulse, not Raheem Kassam. Vanity Fair. On the evening of January the 5th, the night before a white supremacist mob stormed Capitol Hill in a siege that would leave five dead, the acting Secretary of Defense, Christopher Miller, was at the White House with his chief of staff, Cash Patel. They were meeting with President Trump on an Iran issue, Miller told me, but then the conversation switched gears. The president, Miller recalled, asked how many troops the Pentagon planned to turn out the following day. 
we're like we're going to provide any national guard support that the district requests miller responded and trump goes you're going to need 10,000 people the article goes on i'll continue where i left off i'm not cutting i'm not forwarding i'm not jumping the next sentence is no, I'm not talking bull S. He said that. And we're like, maybe, but you know, someone's going to have to ask for it. This is Christopher Miller talking again, maybe, but you know, someone's going to have to ask for it. At that point, Miller remembered telling Miller remembered the president telling him, you do what you need to do. You do what you need to do. You're going to need 10,000. That's what he swear, said, swear to God. That's from VanityFair.com. I'll just bl- bl- blitz through that again real quick. Acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller goes in to see the president. They start talking about the next day's events. Trump goes, you're going to need 10,000 National Guard. Miller says somebody's going to need to ask for it. Trump says, you do what you need to do. That is an authorization. You do what you need to do. You ask anybody in any high-ranking military position, anybody in in any high-ranking position, if your direct line manager, your commanding officer says to you, you do what you need to do, that is an authorization. Miller, I suppose, was talking about the fact that the D.C., authorities hadn't requested it remember he said we're going to provide any national guard support that the district requests on that very same day earlier on in the day muriel bowser had tweeted we're not we're not we're not requesting anything and the capitol hill police had said we're not requesting anything so who knew what and when did they know it and why did they refuse to act this is the real impeachment now And I discourage any of you from turning your back on this process now. Let's have these discussions out. Let's have this investigation out. We can walk and chew gum. We can do everything else we need to do in addition to finding out the truth behind this. Because this is imperative. It really, really is. This is everything now. The media gaslit. They lied. They faked. They phonied. Jamie Raskin, all of these people, they lied. They faked. They phonied. We know all of that now. The president has been acquitted for the second time. The only president to face two impeachment proceedings and be acquitted twice, President Donald J. Trump. So now the question is, why did the Capitol Hill police reject offers of federal help? Why did Mayor Muriel Bowser reject the help? And why didn't they do what President Trump said and put 10,000 National Guard out for January the 6th to ensure peace, to ensure the peace that he demanded his protesters march to the Capitol with? I am not suicidal. I am in perfect health. And I will continue asking these questions until we get answers. 
I want you please to head on over to thenationalpulse.com. Even if you don't want to donate, even if you don't want to be a member, just go over there, browse around, share some articles that you like, some stories that you find interesting. And I'll see you again. I'm going to say Monday, but I may do another one Sunday. I'll let you be the judge of that. Signing off, Raheem Kassam, The National Pulse.